Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. For now, we hope you enjoy this message from our special guest minister. Thanks for tuning in today. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thanks for that welcome today. Praise God. Aren't you glad you're a believer? We are believers around here, man. This place is hot for Jesus, man. It's just vibrating. I love this, and it's so good to be back. I know you are hot for God, true believers. But if you slipped in and you're checking it out, man, you are in the right place. So just relax and drink it in. Praise God. Go ahead and be seated. I am so delighted to be back. It's been a number of years since I've been. I was in this building shortly after I think the church got into it, if I remember right. But um, uh, boy, things are looking good. You look great this morning. God bless you. Say this with me. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I'll be glad in it. Glory to God. That's a strong word, man. That's not talking about a day of the week. It's talking about the day of salvation, the day of deliverance, the day of help, the day of healing, the day of answers, the day of recovery, the day of restoration, the day of whatever you need to receive from God. This is that day. Glory to God. You know, we have a positive message. Look, we understand there's a lot of negative things that go on around us. We understand that there is a kingdom of darkness that is arrayed against us. We understand that there are demonic influences and things that Satan is designed to destroy a person's life. But what we've also come to understand is that Jesus is Lord and he has conquered all of it. And he didn't do it on his own behalf. He did it on our behalf. He didn't need any of it. He was already the prime authority over all But he grasped all of that help and deliverance in order to pass it along to you so that you could experience life the way it was designed to be lived. Not with the pressures of life encroaching on your peace, but with the power of God releasing you into new places that God's designed for you to live in. Glory to God. We understand that we're in days where there is a clashing of kingdoms. There's nothing new about it. The clash has been going on from the very beginning. The clash between the only two kingdoms there are, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. There's not other things going on. Everything that is being arrayed against mankind is all about taking down the strength of the kingdom of God in any person's life. You know, the deceiver is actually the most deceived. He actually does have the idea that he's gaining ground. But he's not gaining ground. Don't buy into the dark reports that you hear and the ideas that are promoted on a regular basis, man, that things are getting so bad, we can just give it up and Jesus come quickly, take us out. I mean, I'm looking for him to come, so today would be perfect in my opinion, but the idea is not that we're just caving in to the darkness of society or the threats of the darkest kingdom, but we are children of light. 
We are born with the life of God. We have the love of God deposited in us as our default system to live by so that the kingdom of darkness does not have access to us the way Satan really wants it. You know, Satan wants your life. You, you realize he does. He had your life. He lost it. Glory to God. He lost. And he can't gain it back. I love that about the kingdom of God, man. There is nothing to go back to, to walk away from God. Are you kidding me? We came out of the things that were destroying our life and we're not going back. Said out loud, I'm not going back either. Well, this is what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about some of the keys that I believe are vital, and one in particular I'm going to focus on today, to not being ripped off by the kingdom of darkness, even though you are a child of the king. Because what we have today is a lot of Christians that are living so far below what God really designed for them, that they're failing to really grasp how powerful they are in Christ because of all of the trash and the things that have either gone on in their life or are surrounding them and encroaching on the way they think today. And so I want to talk to you about some of these kind of things today. How many of you are hungry for God? I want you to open yourself up and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. He's going to say things to you far beyond anything I say. He's going to reach into your soul, your mind, Help you have some new thoughts, maybe. I mean, he's got plenty of them to give. How many of you think a new thought for you would be a good idea or even now? Come on, Jesus. Hallelujah. We've all come out of something or a lot of something. But we all have come out. Say it out loud. I've come out. I'm out. When you're out of that, you're in Christ. When you're in Christ, you're out of that. So while you're out, you're also in. You just got to know what you're in and what you're out of. Got to keep it straight. Man, I'm in a good mood today. I know you don't care. But it feels good to feel good. I feel like I'm in a friendly place. Faith, family. Glory to God. I love it. And I love you guys. And I love seeing you guys again. And, and happy birthday. I, I feel I might, I might sing. But I'm going to do it in private much later. I don't want to wreck things now. Look, we all know this. We know about the ministry of Jesus. When he showed up on the scene, there had been darkness in Israel for hundreds of years. There had been no prophet in the land. Israel was under captivity, basically. They were occupied by the Roman government. They were not really free to do anything they chose. They were not at liberty. They hadn't heard from God in, in hundreds of years. They were in a deep, dark hole until John the Baptist began to speak out. People didn't really care for John all that much. Something about speaking out does not really endear you to a lot of people. And the way John would have gone at it was a bit rough probably for what the common ear would have been familiar with in those days. You know, the compromising people don't like truth all that much. All right, well, we'll just move on from that. Well, when Jesus 
began to come on the scene. Of course, we know this. We know that the first 30 years of his life, he really didn't come out to demonstrate what he was really assigned to do at all. He was in perfect communion and fellowship with the Father God. He was God in the flesh from the very beginning. We know all of these kind of things, but I'm just pointing something out to you for emphasis sake. I want you to grasp hold of something. Well, when Jesus was baptized in water by John, something was shifting. Something major was taking place. Jesus was not only going to uh, know the Father, but now he would begin to reveal the Father. There was a shift taking place where the Father wanted now to be revealed, and Jesus was the vessel that God the Father would reveal himself through. Obviously, that made sense. He was the only one born of the Holy Spirit, free from the dominion of sin. Satan had no place in him. These are the things Jesus said. This is amazing. He was the only one on the planet like this. At that time, he was the only begotten son of God. Now, what we know, I'm going to go back and forth in chronology here. What we know now is that there are many sons of God. Men and women have a covenant of sonship that we now belong to God as firstborn sons of the living God. It's not a gender thing now. It's not about men and women, which by the way, there are two genders. And there's no confusion in nature or society. There shouldn't be. But here's what we do know. We know that in covenant with the firstborn son from the dead, we have become the church of the firstborn. There is no second born. There's no distance between us and a relationship with the father on the highest level. Glory to God. That was worth showing up for just right there. But Jesus came to demonstrate and to reveal God and to teach the systems that God had designed for man to live in. The parables that Jesus taught are really like the autobiography of God. They are God revealing and describing himself. God revealing how he designed systems to be lived. And how the laws of the kingdom of God function. He taught about the sower sowing the seed of God's word and how it would manifest and how it would turn into great things, but also how it could be stifled. It's amazing to realize that the word of God, which is full of power, such power that the universe came into existence with a spoken word. Come on, that's amazing power. And yet as a believer, we can hear the word and yet stifle its capacity to have an impact in our life. That's what Jesus taught in that parable that he taught about the sower sowing the word. Some seed fell on hard ground. Why would ground be hard? He described it as a path. A path becomes a path because it's been walked on a lot. And that really, I think, depicts a lot of what happens for people that hear the word. They hear powerful truth. Some of you, even in this church, this great church, can hear the word, but it not really penetrate in a deep way because of the things that you've been walked on over. Satan comes immediately to steal the word, that what God has done for some, he won't do for you. 
because of whatever the reasons. But Jesus went on to talk about that seed being sown, not only on hard ground, but on shallow ground. You know, there are shallow people. I've been one, so I know for a fact that you can be quite shallow when it comes to things in life. But the word sown in shallow ground shows up and has some fruit to bear or has some visibility, but it doesn't last long. When the heat comes, when the pressure's on, it wilts, caves in, drops off. We don't want to be any of these kind of things. But there's also a, a soil that Jesus described in that parable that was good ground, but it got overcrowded. Overcrowded by the weeds, he described them as. The distractions of the age, the Amplified Bible says. And that's really a great deal of what happens in the body of Christ, even now, today. That what we're facing is all of these various issues that the kingdom of darkness has come up with but much of it for people with victory and have seen the fruit of God's word in their life being paralyzed by the distractions and the fears of what's coming on the earth Jesus said something that would happen in the last days and it's hard not to believe that we are in the last of the last days but he said that the love of many would grow cold and that people's hearts would fail them for fear of what's coming on the earth. We're not going to be among those who fall apart with the fear of what's coming down the pike. But that is the strategy that Satan is sowing seeds constantly and feeding into people's soul the fear of what's happening in society, what's happening in government, what's happening in economy, what's happening with diseases, what's happening with plagues, What's happening on whatever level it is, Satan's doing his best to sow the seeds of fear so he can paralyze your faith. Fear is the currency of the kingdom of darkness. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. They are opposed to one another. Fear believes things that appear to be real that aren't necessarily real at all. Amen. Worry is one of those things, and, and we are told not to worry. But there are some high-level worriers, you know there are, some even among us here this morning, that are just committed worriers. They're good at it. They've been doing it a long time. Worry is meditation on the things that you don't want to have happen. And for the high-level worrier, these are great days. Because you have so many options of serious things to worry about. We've listed a few. If you don't have enough, you could worry about why they have been able to find the remnant of pharmaceutical drugs in the ice of Antarctica. It has no bearing on your life whatsoever, but it, it deserves worry from the worrying point of view. All right, I'm being ridiculous. Because it is ridiculous. Amen. Knowing we've been given the, the truths that we've been given. But let me, let me get to the heart of it. This is all by way of introduction. But the heart of it is this clashing of kingdoms that's going on around us. Is not only going on around us. But it actually is a clash of kingdoms that goes on within a person. On an ongoing basis. There's decisions we have to make. 
There's lines we have to draw. There's habits we have to develop. There's things that have to be cultivated in the way we stand in God's word so that we don't allow our own mind to be inundated with the strategies of the day to destroy your faith. Having done it once doesn't mean you've done it forever. There's a maintenance that goes on in the kingdom. I don't know how else to say it. There's a maintenance to maintain the place that God has given us. You know it around here, but I'm going to go through it again for just a moment. You understand that God has designed you and me in his image and in his likeness. He's a three-part being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I realize some people get a bit confused over how is it he's three parts, and yet he's one God. They don't have a trouble over an egg having three parts. It has a shell, a white, and a yolk, and yet nobody's confused that all of that makes up the egg. But something about the triune, that's that Bible school word I, I learned that I only get to use infrequently, so I'm glad I could bring it up now. Uh, I'll try to use it again. The triune God, praise God. He has, he has made us in his image and likeness as a triune person. I got to do it again. And... Uh, that he's designed us spirit and soul and body. That's how he designed man in the very beginning. Spirit, soul, and body. And when Satan came and described what would happen if Eve were to eat of the fruit, he said, you will not die like God said you would if you did eat of the fruit. And yet we know this, you know, God had told the truth. And yet when Adam and Eve both ate of that fruit, they didn't die physically. They didn't just keel over and drop dead. They lived hundreds of years past that. But God wasn't talking about a physical death. He was talking about a spiritual separation that would happen because they had stepped out of the place that God told them to stand. Something shifted in a major way. And literally, Adam and Eve both were the first to be born again. They were born out of life and into a system of death, spiritual death. Now they would live in a totally different system than what God had designed for them to live in. And they did it by their own choice, by disobeying and by yielding to the voice of the devil and man became really a two-part being. Throughout history, man has lived not as a three-part being like God designed, but really a two-part being, just soul and body. You know, the soul is made up of the mind, will, intellect, emotional side of our life. It's our inner life, but it is not designed really to lead our life. And yet everyone it, throughout history has had to be led by their reasoning or by their choices or by their incomplete concept of how to get answers in life and just do their best, reason their way through it, press in and get all the education they can, which we're all for education. We could use a lot more of it as long as it's the right kind of education. But God didn't design us to live that way. He designed us to live out of our spirits. So let me read from the Bible so you feel like you're in church. Where Jesus described something 
In John chapter 7, I'm going to use the Passion Translation some today also. I like that one. Glad you brought it up, Pastor. But in John chapter 7, Jesus makes this statement during the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's quite early in his ministry when he makes this statement. But he's looking ahead in time. And he gives this prophetic word that people at that moment probably didn't really grasp all that well. Sometimes God does that to us, doesn't he? He says things that are ahead of us that we get pieces of, but we don't see all the fullness of it right that moment. It continues to unwrap for us. Don't get frustrated by that. Just enjoy the ride. But here's what Jesus said. John 7, 38 says, During the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus said, Believe in me. So that rivers of living water will burst out from within you, flowing from your innermost being, just like scripture says. Then verse 39 is a commentary on this. I love this. Jesus was prophesying about the Holy Spirit that believers were being prepared to receive. But the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out upon them. Because Jesus had not yet been unveiled in his full splendor. He was looking ahead and really prophesying about what his real purpose was in coming. It was to certainly die on the cross and pay the price for sin. But it was to reestablish and reconnect anybody that will make the choice for Jesus. So that they can live out of their spirit the way God designed them to live. And not just trying to fend for themselves with their own thoughts and reasoning in order to get, it, get decisions and get results made in their life. God wanted to take the limits off. And that's what Jesus really has done in it. He's taken the limits off. If we will embrace this concept and maintain this flow of the Holy Spirit out of our innermost being. Born of the Holy Spirit. Here's the war, the clash of kingdoms that we go through even now as believers. Listening and allowing this energy and divine life of God born within us to dominate and really flow like a river the way Jesus said. And the contradictions that come with our own soul and mind and thinking that has not yet really been renewed to the way God does what he does. Here's what the Apostle Paul said about this. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. This is such a pivotal point. Where in the New King James Bible it reads this way. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be what? Be transformed. Everybody say transformed. Transformation. The metamorphosis that takes place. The change. Be changed and, and become something that you haven't been. Just this way before. Be transformed. Look at this. How? By the renewing of your mind. So look, we know we get transformed in a major way when you make Jesus Lord. You become a new creation in Christ. You're brand new. Old things are passed away. Sin's wiped out, man. You're new in Christ. But here's what you also know. You've experienced it and so have I. There are still things in your head. Habits. 
mindsets, fears that have dominated your life that you drag into your Christian life and the conflict is on between our how you're going to live. Are you going to live by the promise and the power and the release of this divine flow of various rivers of God out of your life? Are you going to live by that? Or are you going to live in the confines and limitations of the fears that you've maintained, the strongholds that are in your soul, the mindset and the habits that you've had all along? What is going to dominate when the pressure's on? When the spirit of the world is squeezing, when the information flow that's coming to you is, is uh, the wrong stuff, the discouragements, the, the news. It has been rightly said that if you're spending more time listening to media news than you are really meditating on God and his word and his answers for your life, then your discouragement is self-inflicted. We've got to realize that this is a real war. And that these things are the strategies and the weapons of an enemy. An enemy that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's no game. You know, when Goliath showed up out on that battlefield, it was no game. Nine foot nine. Fifteen pound spear. Gigantic shield. A massive warrior that had killed many people. It was no game. This is why everybody, everybody, including Saul in all of Israel, was as far back from the front line as they could get and still be considered on the battlefield. They didn't want anything to do with Goliath. Saul was at the back of the bunch. He was the one that Goliath was really after. Anyway, that's another message. But it'd be a good one. But it was no game for him. It was no game for the Philistines. It was no game for David either. David showed up on the battlefield. He didn't look like the warrior. He was a shepherd kid. Wasn't old enough to be out there on the battlefield, but he had gone, gone running an errand. But when he heard the words of that warrior defiling the God of Israel, he was incensed against the words and the threats and the degrading that was being unleashed by this uncircumcised Philistine, this threat that he didn't see as a threat at all. He saw it as a point of major victory. Glory to God. Anyway, you know the story. He went at him with rocks and not swords. What a message is in that. But I can't go down that road too far. But it's a good one. Especially when he cut his head off. I don't know. It's R-rated, but it's, it's, a, it's a great moment. Glory to God. Held that head up. Carried it all the way back to Jerusalem. Are you kidding me? Blood, eyeballs, and guts all over the place. But that's victory any way you look at it. Anyway, back to the Bible here. He said, do not be conformed to the world. Let me read this also from the Passion Translation. He said, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Now watch this. But be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit. Now listen close. Through a total reformation of how you think. 
I want to emphasize that because he didn't point out that it is just what we think, but it is how we think. Too often, man, people are being told what they should think without really any whys or allowed to ask any questions about why they should think this. But transformation doesn't come by just changing what you think. It comes because you change how you think. What is it that dominates your thoughts and what is energizing or describing why those thoughts should dominate your life? How you think. What is the default system that you fall back to? When, you, when the squeeze is on, the Phillips translation of this same verse says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed from within by the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. Transformation comes from the inside. You've already been changed by the power of God, man. You've already been delivered from sin. Say it out loud. I've been delivered. You have been. You are now. You always will be. That's the message of the gospel. Glory to God. But too many times the limiters have, re- have stayed on or really been allowed to come back on a person through the uh, distractions of the age, through the cares of the world, through the fear of what's going on around them. Now I'm going to say this, you're not going to like it. Nobody's exempt from this attack. Nobody's exempt and just automatically you're going to default instantly to the right thing. Nobody's exempt from these strategies of the enemy trying to regain ground in our life. This is what John tells us in 2 John. He says, don't lose the ground that you've gained. It can be done. People lose ground. But we don't have to. If you have, there's plenty of hope that you can regain it. So this is not a doom and gloom idea for people that have caved. And I'm not going to call for a show of hands as to people who have. But man, God's here to do something. And there's an impartation of the Spirit of God happening right now for people in this room and people that are part of this service online. An impartation of the Holy Spirit. He comes to attend to us and to hear our cry. He knows what's going on on the inside, but he's come to heal your soul. His word has been given so that what's on the inside of you that has been deposited in you by the Holy Spirit can bring salvation to your soul. That's James 1.21. Yeah, salvation to your soul. All right, I'm going to say something else here since you're with me. How many of you are with me? All right, that wasn't loud enough, but I'll go with it. The soul, mind, will, emotional side of our inner life is not instantly saved at the new birth. We use that terminology and there's nothing wrong with it. How many souls were saved? I mean, we get it. People are born again. That's the, that's the message and that's what we're after. But just for the sake of understanding this concept, you, you got to know that the soul, the mind, the thought patterns, the habits are not instantly transformed. That's what we've read from what Paul said, be transformed. He's talking to Christians in the, in the Roman church. 
be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. This is not something God does for us. This is something that we do. We develop the habit and a mindset that reflects who we are now that we're in Christ. Not who we were, not the trash or baggage that we've lived with, not the strongholds that we've allowed to remain in our soul, but we reflect this presence of God that's on the end. Am I making any sense to you here? We reflect who we are now that we're in Christ, born of the Spirit of God. Satan does not have a right to us unless we give it to him. That's where the line has to be seen and we have to draw it. We're not giving up ground. We're not giving him access. If we have, this is a day for it to be defeated and changed. This is the day the Lord has made. Glory to God. Yeah, glory to God. So be transformed with a total reformation of how you think. Oh, I love this. So Paul gives us some insight further in 2 Corinthians. I want to read from 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, beginning in verse 3, also from the New King James Bible first, where it says in verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Look at that. There is a war. He's very clear about it. It's a war we get to win, but it is a war. He said, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty. Say mighty. mighty. For the pulling down, look at this, of strongholds. I want to talk to you about these strongholds, strongholds of the soul. For the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, or that could have been translated imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now listen to all this from the Passion Translation also. Watch this. He said, for although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human Uh, weapons using manipulation to achieve our aims instead now watch this our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide people hide and what we all know is what started in the garden with Adam and Eve hiding behind useless fig leaf, little whatever that looked like type hiding. Remember when God said, it it says there in Genesis, God came and said, Adam, where are you? Does anybody think God really did not know where Adam was at that point? No, it was so Adam would come to grips with where he was. He was hiding. He peeked from around the tree, no doubt, and said, I'm right here. He had never... Never played hide and seek. You don't do that. But God asked so that Adam would identify what was going on. He was hiding. He was hiding for fear because he knew something had shifted in a major way. This is what happens even for people today. 
They hide behind a variety of things. They hide behind their fears. They hide behind their strongholds. They hide in their soul because we don't really want to be transparent. And let me talk to you about being transparent. There, there's what I call being overly transparent. There's stuff that gets said and told that really does not need to be a transparent moment. Look, I really don't care about that part of your life. I love you in Jesus, but there's some things I really don't care to hear. Does that sound unloving? I needed more of a nope than that, but that's okay. I'll take that. No, that's not the point. The point is that people waller around in their own miseries and make that the the point of conversation, how hurt they've been, how bad it's been, how grieving they remain, even after years of situations gone by, and yet they're still grieving, hurting, in pain, have a tough time, have nightmares, dreams, all kinds of things that reflect this weakness and this pain that they're living with. So let me talk to you about these strongholds. Well, let me finish reading this part from Passion because I want you to catch this. Verse 5, he said, We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. Now watch this. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Isn't that powerful? This is what we can do and must do as believers. This is part of this inner inner war that's going on, this conflict, this clashing of kingdoms. That Satan's trying to regain ground in our head, in our soul, in our emotions to keep us weak and paralyzed and distracted from the real power issues in our life. But here's the key that Paul gives us here for transformation so that that doesn't win. Let me talk to you about strongholds. What are strongholds? They're not spiritual entities. These are not demons in your head. Satan takes advantage of strongholds, no question about it. But strongholds are the lens over our soul that impacts our perception of everything. They are the attitudes that keep us from embracing our Christ-likeness. They are areas of the mind where darkness reigns. As a result, spiritual perceptions grow dim. Strongholds. They are perceptions and logic that is rooted in a lie. It's not the truth of who you are now that you're in Christ. But these strongholds continue to paint a picture that you are as troubled as you've ever been, even though you have Jesus on the inside. This contradiction is just wearing people out. Every stronghold in your life is a foothold of the kingdom of darkness in your soul. Strongholds are specifically designed to keep the child of God from their God-given destiny. It becomes the slave driver of the individual. A stronghold left unaddressed will cause you to lose confidence that you will be able to make a right choice or judgment or right decisions. They continue to weigh on you and they are a lens. I want to go back to that idea. They are a perception 
that has been skewed by this lens over the way you perceive things and the way you see things in life. Strongholds in your soul, in your mind, in your emotions. There was a point in time, my early days, it's been a long time since I've been here, but I was just a long hair stoner type uh, rock and roll guy in Southern California running the beaches and, and uh, knowing I was going to hell and just miserable about that. If that's the Lord, we want to hear. <laughs> Otherwise, we don't. And the reason I bring that up is while that was a dark time in my life, there's some goofy things that happen in those dark times. You know how that is. You do goofy stuff. And there was one rock band. I liked, I liked hard rock stuff. And uh, there was one band I liked. I liked a lot of bands. But this one band was called The Birds. Some of you remember, how many of you remember the birds? Okay, you're giving away some stuff here, but thank you. How many of you have never heard of the birds? I know, I know, you see, it's, it's so sad. But um, that's the way it is. Anyway, they had, this, they had this album come out. I had to have it, of course, you know, an album, that vinyl, which amazingly, and mis- the mystery is, vinyl has come back. But... Um, and on the cover, one of the guys, I don't remember which one it was, but one of the guys wore these, wore these glasses. And they were, they were these goofy kind of looking glasses that I thought were the coolest thing I had ever seen. And they had red lenses. I think they were rectangular with red lenses. Oh, man, this was so cool. And I thought to myself, Dennis, you need to be cool like the birds. So I went on a hunt to go find some glasses. Went down to the head shops at Hermosa Beach, you know, a few places that I thought I could score some glasses. And I found some finally. I hunted around and I found these red lens glasses. I know you don't care. But I found these red lens glasses. I was so excited. I bought these glasses. I put them on and I knew I had just become the coolest looking dude at the beach. Of course, it was only in my own mind. Nobody else would have thought that at all. But as you know, just by thinking about it, there was an unintended consequence that I had to deal with immediately. And that is that everything had turned red. No mystery there, but it just didn't occur to me that that's the way it was going to go. Everything, the sky was red. Every person was red. Some were light red. Some were dark red. Cars were red. The roads were red. The buildings were red. Varying hues of red. It was all red and it just screwed everything up. I didn't last long with my very cool red glasses. I took them off, put them in a drawer where they remained until I finally threw them out. So you get the, the idea and the metaphor here. A lens over your eyes, it just changes everything. And that's what these strongholds of the soul really end up doing in a person. Everything we see, every experience that we have, every conversation, everything somebody says can be skewed and turned into something negative or something hurtful or something debilitating because of the filter that you've put in your soul or allowed to remain. The same habits that you had, the offenses that you took on, 
the issues in your life that you drug into your Christian life, the failings, the various divorces or, or bad decisions or bankruptcies or offenses that you've caused or words that you've heard, even some of those little things that were said to you on the schoolyard when you were just a kid, fatty, fatty, or whatever else it might have been that put you in a place in your mind that still speaks to you today. It's a stronghold in your soul. I did some research on something that a psychologist introduced me to that we've come to know this friend of ours, a friend of, real good friend of Vicky. My wife's name is Vicky also, by the way. And, uh, and Dr. Nisi had written a blog, and she's written a number of them, but one that got my attention about an issue that I had never ever heard of before and it was about the reticular activating system of the brain now I can't go too deep into it because I'm no expert on any of this but I understand a few things and the reason I bring it up is because I'm convinced that this is where the strongholds in a person's soul are housed it is in this portion of the brain the reticular activating system was actually first discovered by a doctor in 1949 and there's been an enormous amount of research and things about it. It's a small little section of the brain at the rear base of your brain. It's about the size maybe of your pinky finger and this is the data collection center as data is coming in from all over. You know, you're collecting data constantly all of your life. Every instant of every day you're collecting data. Most of it is useless data. You're collecting data right now about the buzz of a light, about the sound of the air conditioner, about the color around you, about my tie, about the amazing things that you're hearing me say, about uh, your... (laughs) Okay. Uh, Anyway, so uh, we're collecting this data and filtering out most of it, not filtering out what I'm saying, by the way, but filtering out most of it because it's really not important to us. What we deem important, though, we don't filter out. And something amazing happens as you start to get data that you are deciding is important to you. As you do, this data center that is actually like a search engine greater than Bing, Google, Yahoo, any of them, it begins to kick out all the data that supports what you are right now considering to be important. Anything you've heard before, any ideas you've had, anything that goes right along with it or reminds you of this, it kicks this data out and what you hear now has a greater depth because you're getting new data along with this this data that you've collected for maybe years over an issue or a subject and this kind of merges together and it becomes fresh and brand new and powerful. In this instant. This can be such a positive thing. And that's really the design God had for it. That this would feed your soul with positive reinforcement to revelation that he brings into your innermost being. So that what's in your spirit by the Holy Spirit now floods like a river even through your soul and into your own body. Isn't that powerful? But here's the problem. The problem is that this... This data center of your soul has housed 
the pain, the emotional violations, the abuses, the failings, the fears, and all the reasons for it. And then with added meditation in the form of worry, you're able to enhance it with current information as to how dark it is, how much darker it's getting, how bad it could get, what the Democrats are doing, what the Republicans are doing, what the Chinese are doing, what the others are doing, or whoever else is out there. And next thing you know, you are being inundated with the data that reinforces the fear factor that you've defaulted to because this stronghold has remained a voice and continued to have strength in your soul. Am I making sense to you here? These are the strongholds that we have to address and recognize are part of the distractions of the age that our weapons of warfare have to deal with in order to destroy their effectiveness in our soul. There has to be a change in the way we perceive things. We have to change what we allow ourselves to feed on. That doesn't mean we disconnect from every bit of information other than reading scriptures. That's not my point at all. Although I don't know that that would hurt you all that badly. Certainly not. But the point is we have to understand that we are in a war and we have to deal with it in an aggressive and powerful way. And we've been given the tools, the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal but powerful and mighty through God. We've been given what it takes to deal with an enemy. And it's not only the enemy on the outside. I'll say it this way. It is the war that is going on within. That's where we have to really conquer. And that really sets the stage for dealing with anything else that comes at us from the outside. But if we stay weak and allow strongholds to remain in place, these strongholds of the soul that are defeating us, then it's no wonder that we're struggling to get healed, get help, get confident again, or feel like we're headed in a good direction. You're not headed in a good direction. You know, I'll just go ahead and say it, man. There's people, they believe a lot of right things, but they're not moving in a right way. They believe right things about God, about the Bible, about Jesus, but it's really not being implemented in a way that is bringing help and power into their soul. In this conflict that's going on, they're losing the battle because these strongholds have been allowed to continue to have access to your soul. So what do you do about this? Well, one, you identify that it's actually there. You get real with yourself. You go ahead and acknowledge the fact that there has truly been a stronghold of fear in my mind. I've allowed fear, and a spirit goes along with that. There is a spirit of fear, but it's not all fear comes out of a spirit of fear. Much of it comes out of these strongholds that have been embedded in our soul. And the spirit of fear grabs onto that. That's like a handle to hang on to and to beat the tar out of you with. So we acknowledge it for what it is, that it's real, it's there, and we don't have to be afraid of it. We don't have to fear the fear. What's the famous quote? The only thing to fear is fear itself. I'm not sure that came from a Christian source, but it's still not a bad one. 
these strongholds of the soul can really be pictured this way. I saw something, in fact, God gave me a terminology to understand something about this that has turned into something so powerful, and this is really going to take us into a time of prayer here in just a moment. Because I got this terminology. You've, you remember the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 talking about the thorn in the flesh. And he described it as it was a messenger of Satan. It wasn't something that God had allowed. It was a messenger that Satan had come with to harass him over the revelation knowledge that he had. That was the war that was going on in even the Apostle Paul. But he called it a thorn in the flesh. But in this study and in these things that I have gone into that I'm talking to you about today, God gave me this terminology using that same idea of a thorn, not in the flesh, but the thorn in your soul. And that with the events that have taken place in life, the failings, the, the trouble, the, the fears, and all the various lists that we can come up with of trouble that has happened and, and created these strongholds, it is as though Satan has stuck a thorn in our soul. And as long as it remains there, any time that issue is brought up or a memory comes or a person's name is mentioned, here comes all of that data being flooded into that person's soul from this RAS, the R-A-S, that's what I call it, the RAS, reticular activating system. It floods into our soul and when that thorn gets flicked, just like a splinter in your finger, if you don't get it out, it hurts like crazy. As long as it stays there, it's just as if it just got there. It's brand new, even though it could be decades old. A thorn in your soul. And this is what people carry around, and they carry it around, some of them all their life, to the end of their life. The thorn in their soul, over whatever it is. Lovely Christian people. This, I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm talking to believers. That's how Paul addressed it to believers. But these strongholds, these thorns in the soul remain a point of aggravation and really a point more than aggravation, a point of weakness, real weakness. Because it, it causes your mind to race in a direction that is just totally contrary to the victories of Jesus and what Jesus has done on your behalf. And that's where this war takes place and goes on. So we identify the fact that we have the thorn in our soul, or maybe more than one. Some have dozens, dozens of these thorns in the soul. I just want you to get that picture. Because the Holy Spirit has come today to pluck thorns out of people's soul. To pluck thorns out of people's soul. Now I realize that we have to, we have to, address these things with a new transforming, renewing of our mind. So a new habit, a new way of addressing the issue when it comes up. When the mind starts to race in a direction at the mention of a person's name, well, Dennis, you don't know what they did to me. And obviously I don't. You don't know what they said. You don't know how they treated me. You don't realize how deep they wounded me. And obviously I don't, but I can imagine those things. And yeah, it's real and it's there and it is needing to be destroyed. So when the mind starts to race in that direction, once you understand what's going on, you can shut it off in an instant and say, wait, 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 wait. 
I am not given to that. That is not my habit any longer. I now live in the light and life and love of Almighty God. And in the name of Jesus, I release my faith that out of my innermost being flow the rivers of the light and life and love of God over that issue. I'm not conquered by it, but I conquer it in the name of Jesus. And you take that moment and you begin to design a brand new habit of how you address this age-old issue that you've been dealing with. Look, I know what I'm talking about because I've had to do this more than once. And it's not all ancient history. Some of it's a bit more recent because it's an ongoing kind of deal for our life. So there's no shame or guilt in this. You just got to know that this is the tactic that Satan has used to keep people weak and destroyed or defeated. But we have the divine power of God, the name of Jesus. Man, we were singing that great song earlier. The name of Jesus that destroys strongholds. We've got it. But we have to make the choice that this is the way it's going to go for us. We live in this kind of power. That out of your innermost being flow rivers, more than one river, rivers of life-giving water. And the first thing that these rivers are designed to do is flood through your own soul, your emotions and your mind with healing, help, wholeness, restoration, deliverance, strength, power, all the things that Jesus has come to bring to every person. So you get to live by the system that God designed where the word bears fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold in your soul, restored and redeemed. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30. We also have a midweek service on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.